Hello and welcome to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where we watch, review, and discuss two movies randomly selected from a list of over 2,000. This week's movies are the 1971 classic Don Siegel film Dirty Harry and the 1987 schlock classic from Jim Wynorski, Deathstalker 2. I am your host, Patrick, and I am joined as usual by... Jim, hello everybody, hello Patrick. Way back when we covered the first Deathstalker, which famously you love that movie. I, I, and, I, and I still stand by it, yes. And yeah, and I don't know why I did not like it. I have said that Deathstalker 2 is the superior Deathstalker film. It's the best of the four in my opinion. I'm curious to hear if you'll agree with that. But, you know, before we get into that, we can talk some Dirty Harry. This is our second Clint Eastwood picture. Some filthy hair. Fistful of Dollars. So you know me, I love the 70s gritty cop slash vigilante stuff. Death Wish, a lot of the black exploitation movies kind of fall into that. Taxi Driver, I would I would kind of throw into that. Anything mm-hmm. the 70s was a filthy decade. <laughs> and Anything that really takes advantage of that, I just love. And Dirty Harry's probably not the best of those movies. Like, again, if we're including Taxi Driver, I think it's safe to say Dirty Harry's not better than Taxi Driver. I'm going to say I like it more than Taxi Driver, and I like it more than Shaft and Death Wish and Superfly. I like it better than all those movies, you know. But uh, have you had you seen Dirty Harry before? Yes, yes, many times. And what? And the other ones, The Enforcer and... Magnum Force is the second one. Okay. The Enforcer is the third. Okay. Sudden Impact is the fourth. That's the first Dirty Harry movie in the 80s. That's the one that famously has the go-ahead-make-my-day line. Yes. I think a lot of people who, who don't know better would probably be watching this movie and, and go like, wait a second, it's Dirty Harry, and he doesn't say go-ahead-make-my-day. Like, what, what? I thought he said that. He does. It's just 12 years later he says it. <laughs> Yeah, his way more famous line was about was about having the um, a bullet in the chamber or not. Yeah, that's the thing. He he still gets classic lines in this movie. Maybe not quite as classic as "Go ahead and make my day," but to my knowledge, at least, the, this line is um, "Do you feel lucky?" stuff. To my knowledge, is at least original in this movie. "Go ahead, make my day." appeared on film before it appeared in Sudden Impact, the Dirty Harry movie. It appears in Vice Squad, which came out like a year or two before that movie. So I don't know if that was a uh. conscious ripoff or, you know, it's it's really weird. I always, you know me, I and we just talked about the Terminator recently, and I like a lot of James Cameron movies. I love the original Titanic. When I was watching Twin Peaks for the first time 10 years ago at this point, there's a line, I think it's a Laura Flynn Boyle line. She says, I'd rather be his whore than your wife or your girlfriend or whatever and it's like what that's titanic used that line like (laughs) and then this came out like a few years before titanic obviously but billy zane was in twin peaks so maybe he should have (laughs) known well you know the thing i want to say about dirty harry is that the movie looks so cool and manly (laughs) and clint eastwood is such a man in this movie sure I think if you're not familiar with this movie, I think the way it starts off might trick you into thinking it, it would be like more, I don't know, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, like highbrow, you know, like when, like the, there's that great opening shot of him on the rooftop swimming pool with like the dead woman 
and she's wearing like, this cool like 70s swimsuit. well it's not it's not the opening shot You're right but yes it's the first shot with him yeah when opening he, when scene he... i should say yeah there's this dead woman and he's kind of crouched down and then you have these this cool 70s font you know dirty harry and like it looks super classy like a classy detective movie. no you're screwing it up i was gonna i was gonna oh, talk about oh, this sorry so, yes go on go on never mind then <laughs> this is obviously thought out but the first time we see clint eastwood he steps out of the door on the rooftop the title dirty harry comes up when it cuts to a different angle and he crouches down by the woman clint eastwood comes up so it's clint eastwood that shows up not dirty harry you're reversing the two <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but can you have Dirty Harry without Clint Eastwood, though? That's the question. This is, you know, I, I love Clint Eastwood. He's been one of my favorite actors for a long time. I just think he was such a, I, th- I think a lot of people don't give him enough credit as an actor. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think a lot of people came to respect him later on when he was like older, like Unforgiven on. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's a pretty good actor. But he was always a good actor. It's just he's, he played different kinds of roles when he was younger. He, sh- he was allowed to show more vulnerability as he got older. But he he's had such an amazing career, obviously, it, it, both acting and directing. I, I really think you can look at his career and say he's got like three or four signature roles, yeah. right? Because yeah. he's got the man with no name. He's got Dirty Harry. And I think for any other actor, if you make Unforgiven, it wins a bunch of Academy Awards. I think that's your signature role. And for him, it's like, it's not an afterthought. That's a signature film as a director. But yeah. it, as far as an actor, that you almost forget about it. So I don't know. I just, an amazing career. He's great in this movie. I mean, it's not a complicated role. He's not given anything too difficult. But he's awesome. I mean, you, you completely believe him as that character. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, and there's also something else that's kind of funny about Dirty Harry, and it's that... Oh, this movie's hilarious at times. Oh, oh, yeah. It really is. Well, it's really neat that in in the world that we live in, you can make a joke about somebody who's, like, let's say trying to be sneaky, or I'm sure there's jokes in television or other movies where a character says to somebody who's trying to be sneaky, what are you, James Bond? You know, who do you think you are, James Bond? And everybody gets that joke, James Bond, super secret, awesome British spy, right? I, I would I would say the reference would be less about being sneaky and more about being like womanizing. But yes, okay, sure. Yeah. But like, that, oh, this guy thinks he's James Bond because <laughs> he's wearing a suit and he's hitting on a woman. You know, that would be the reference. Yeah. But I see what I see what you're doing because that that same Dirty Harry reference. Yes. Has made it into pop culture in Ferris Bueller. That is why I have got to catch him this time to show these kids that the example he sets is a first class ticket to nowhere. Oh. Ed, you sounded like Dirty Harry just then. Exactly, and I, it's it's just it's really interesting when you can have such an iconic character that lives on forever in pop culture. That mm-hmm. will always be something, even if people don't understand what it means. People will always say, "Oh, who do you think you are, Dirty Harry?" You know? <laughs> yeah. Also, I would say you can make that same reference and say, "Who do you think you are, Clint Eastwood?" Yeah. Because I think he's because yeah. Clint Eastwood had made such a career off of again, I like he, he's done more than this, but he had such an incredible career just playing this like badass guy, whether it's Dirty Harry or the Man with No Name or Josie Wales or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, for sure. This is about a movie about a couple of killers. Harry Callahan. And a homicidal maniac. The one with the badge is Harry. Hey! 
lot of reasons they called him Dirty Harry. And he kept inventing new ones. The movie begins with a killer atop a rooftop. He is played by Andy Robinson, or Andrew Robinson, who we remember from Hellraiser. He plays the father in Hellraiser, mm-hmm. who's eventually possessed by the uncle, and he gets torn to pieces. He's also like a sadistic barber in Child's Play 3. So I think like a lot of horror fans would be like, oh yeah, it's that one guy from Hellraiser, but like this is far and away his most significant role. He plays the Scorpio Killer. Like I said, this movie comes out in 1971. It's set in San Francisco. When was Zodiac? Was that 68, 69? It was like a few years before this. And it's clearly inspired by that. I don't know much about the Zodiac Killer stuff, but... I know enough just watching this movie that oh they're doing they're doing a, a zodiac thing but he's Scorpio it's it's a more specific part of the zodiac calendar he is atop a rooftop with his sniper rifle and he shoots a woman who is swimming we then are introduced to Clint Eastwood walking around in his suit and sweater underneath the suit looking at the body and then he figures out where the shot was fired from and he goes to a rooftop of another building and finds the bullet casings as well as a note which he brings to his chief and also the mayor. The mayor, of course, we've seen him on this podcast not too long ago, is John Vernon, Dean Wormer from Animal House. Oh! (laughs) How did you not recognize him? He looks exactly the same. Well, I was like, yeah, he looks familiar. I was like, I don't know who he is. (laughs) Even the name was familiar in the credits, and I was like, John Vernon. I've heard that name somewhere before. I thought he was Dirty Harry's boss. I thought he was a chief. I, I, for, I had forgotten he was the mayor. But I'm going to say, of all the movies I've seen John Vernon in, this is probably the most toned down he ever is. Yeah, I mean, he's still kind of an asshole. A little bit, but, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I, I think you see these scenes. I think Harry's being the bigger oh, asshole. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's just playing off, you know, Dirty Harry. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I've seen him play prison wardens, chiefs of police, like in uh, Killer Clowns from Outer, Sp- Outer Space. Like, he's always an authority figure. He's usually angry. He was rip-torn before rip-torn, I'm gonna say. And I mean, I mean rip-torn was around back then, but rip-torn was kind of a younger guy. Like, talking like Men in Black rip-torn, or mm-hmm. Freddy got <laughs> Freddy got fingered rip-torn, <laughs> like, where, where he's just yelling at people. And, and, and John <laughs> Vernon was like the 70s and 80s version of that, I think. And he's always entertaining, although, like I said, a little toned down in this movie. By the way, he was in Josie Wales. Great movie. We won't be covering it. Actually kind of similar to Dirty Harry in that I think you can look at that movie, you can watch that movie, you can watch Dirty Harry and say, this is a great movie about one of the worst human beings that you can possibly imagine. <laughs> and I think there's something interesting <laughs> about movies like that, that I guess, I mean, Dirty Harry is an anti-hero. Josie Wales is an anti-hero to a certain extent, and not the same way that like Travis Bickle is in Taxi Driver, I wouldn't say, or like Michael Corleone, mm-hmm. because you want to root for, well, again, at least in this movie, not, I, I'm Diverting from Josie Wales a little bit because that he's just like a Confederate guy who just like wages his own personal war against he just like refuses to surrender. So it's a little bit different. But but Dirty Harry, like you're rooting for him, and yet he's a terrible human being. And I think this movie when it came out was super controversial for a number of reasons. One, it was super violent, which, you know, watching it today, I would say it's brutal. It's not that violent. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, listen, I'm not a cop, nor do I know any serial killers, but 
I feel like the that way you know they depicted things was very true to real life. Yeah, it feels realistic. It feels realistic. The violence is brutal. It's not excessive. It's not like a Tarantino where, you know, like, there's no style to the violence. The violence feels very straightforward. But at the same time, there's more violent stuff on television nowadays, obviously. I mean, yeah. this is movies 50 years old. Of course, of course there is. But the movie is controversial for more so than the violence. I really just think that the main character, this movie, and, and I think a lot of people looking at it now, because Clint Eastwood is conservative, he's a Republican, are going to look at that and make some conclusions about this movie that may or may not be supported by the actual movie. I think this movie is all about the debate over if Harry is necessary, if if this asshole who doesn't follow rules does not care about your Mirandas and your Escobedos and all that stuff. <laughs> like, if this is... I think, I think the movie very much asks questions. I don't think it provides answers as to if this type of character is is good for society because because obviously you're dealing with a with a scorpio killer this this villain is like what what do you do with that when the villain when the killer doesn't play by rules you know i guess we as a society we have to expect police officers to follow the rules but but you know you know in some cases is it is that realistic in in every instance you know i don't know wasn't there a yeah shit what didn't like the governor of florida or something say <laughs> who's the governor of florida patrick you're in america ron DeSantis. yeah didn't he say something a couple months ago that made it onto the news where he was like you believe we should defund the police okay well next time somebody breaks into your house call a crackhead <laughs> uh, yeah i've heard that quote I, d- I didn't think it was DeSantis, and i i also didn't think it was a recent i think that's that's almost like to me anyways i've heard that quote for a long time i thought that was one of those like the only thing that stops a good guy with, or a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun it, it was to me it was just like a mantra like i feel like i've heard that i didn't know it came from a specific person this movie kind of reminded me of that <laughs> or you know what was the famous line the line from batman batman is the hero gotham needs not the hero gotham deserves oh from the dark knight yeah and that's kind of like uh that's kind of like uh, uh dirty harry you know, but he also creates a lot of collateral damage, just like Batman. Not as much as Superman, though. No, and, definitely uh, not as much Zack as Snyder Superman films. or like the Avengers or whatever, but about as much as Batman. Another thing that I love about Dirty Harry is that it truly takes advantage of its setting. San Francisco, this is early 70s, so you're still kind of in that hippie thing, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, we're kind of moving on from it now. But San Francisco has completely changed as a city, as a, you know, its culture. And it's this like bastion of liberalism and then you just throw this like ultra conservative hard-ass cop yeah. in the middle of it <laughs> who's looking down on every single person that he's to protect and serve i think is just brilliant yeah but but he also respects people too like there's a scene i don't want to jump jump the gun here but there's a scene where he gets beat up for people believing he was a peeping tom and he just says oh yeah he kind of just accepts that yeah, he's like. Yeah, he kind of just accepts that. He's like, yeah, I, I, I was in the wrong, and this one is kind of what he's thinking, probably. <laughs> Maybe he's just misunderstood. There's a lot of like people trying to kind of figure him out, and I don't mean like the villain, but it's more the people around him because he's given a partner pretty early in the movie. What's the partner's name? Chico. Chico. Chico Gonzalez. Yeah, 
And obviously Dirty Harry has a reputation and Chico's wondering, okay, why do they call you Dirty Harry? And he doesn't really get a satisfying answer and he kind of comes up with his own answer for it later on. And then like, yeah, it's, it's, people are trying to figure out what makes Dirty Harry tick. What makes Dirty Harry dirty? (laughs) Yeah, this could be a Barbara Walters interview. He's like, so Harry Callahan, we haven't said his real name, I don't think yet. Harry Callahan, what makes you just so dirty well i like to beat my wife and you have to smack her with an open palm there's also a couple hints i guess i suppose it's more than hints but i there's a couple little references to his wife is dead Mm -hmm. and okay how much of that is responsible for making him the man who he is and i don't know i i like all of that stuff that it does with the dirty hairy character terrible human being that he is he's obviously a bit more complicated than most people seem to think he is like there's that one guy that says like well that's the thing about harry he hates everyone equally he doesn't play any favorites he hates and he's like listing all these saying all these horrible words that i'm not going to repeat but he's like he hates all these guys equally like he's black people hispanics like all this stuff gays straight (laughs) anyways back to this note so in the note Scorpio, who also uses bad words in the note, <laughs> promises to kill one person every day until he's given $100,000 and this note is taken to the mayor. Which is a million dollars chief, in 1971. The, by the chief way. of police. There's no way it rounds up that neatly, but okay. <laughs> and he says in the first day he's going to kill either a Catholic priest or... We'll just say black person. Okay, we'll, we'll keep it. We'll keep a G here. So the mayor kind of surprisingly wants to go along with it. And is like, okay, we're, we'll pay him off, but we need more time. We need to get this message out there. And we see Scorpio the next time we see him. He's he's got this newspaper, and there's like a because this this hasn't been leaked to the press, so they're able to just send a message in the personal ads in the newspaper to Scorpio. We agree, but give us more time to get the money. But Scorpio's top of the rooftop. He's He's keeping an eye on a gay black man. He's going to shoot them, but then a police helicopter spots him and chases him away. And he gets, he, he just kind of gets away. We don't really see it. The next scene, I think, is Harry driving around with his new partner, Chico. And Chico's like, I can't believe he escaped. And so it's a little awkward. We just, it just, it just happens, I guess. Yeah. I don't know how you make that scene where you have him escape a... When we establish just how many police officers are on top of roofs and everything, I don't know (laughs) if you can make that scene realistic of him getting away, but it happened. So Harry and Chico are driving around, I guess, the red light district of San Francisco. I'm going to assume this is like how Times Square was in the 70s and 80s. It's whatever part of the city this is. It's probably nothing like this anymore, but... You know I love those old school 70s, 80s movies that show off these aspects of the city because it's just like, I don't know, growing up like you and I did in the 90s and the 2000s in this super sanitized age, it's almost like hard to imagine cities used to be like this. Yeah. where It's like this is only a step away from like... From family restaurants. Yes, but I was going to say this is like a step away from like rampant prostitution in like game of thrones like the 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 <laughs> fantasy medieval city and it's like this this was like going on in america this is kind of hard to believe but yeah it, it, it's kind of it's, fun well it's, it's fun to see right? oh it's on, really fun on, on yeah screen. and you see more of it too later on but we get a nice little teaser here <laughs> of all the teasing going on i should i suppose and 
Chico thinks he spots a man in the street that fits Scorpio's description. So they get out of the car and... <laughs> and Harry Callahan ends up peeping on a naked woman whose like boyfriend comes home or something. He's he's like he's looking in because he thinks that's the apartment that this guy that may or may not have been Scorpio went in. So it's not like he's just trying to peep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, he gets caught. And I guess there's just happens to be three or four people in the alley at this time who just kind of beat him up and then uh Chico <laughs> comes in, puts a stop to it and he's like going to arrest them but then Callahan's like no it's fine without admitting any wrongdoing he kind of owns up to being a creep here which I think is really neat yeah well also I like what was her name like Barbara like all these guys who were like held up at gunpoint by Chico they're like well, yeah I can't remember her name up. he was he was spying on hot Barbara <laughs> I was like okay sure whatever I guess that passed for hot yeah, and it's like, were they peeping? Is that why they caught him? Like, what were, what were they doing in the alley? I know, yeah. <laughs> oh, and you know what? I, I, I'm only remembering this because I'm about to talk about our, my second favorite scene of the movie, but I skipped my favorite scene of the movie, the most famous scene of the movie. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, how did we miss that? <laughs> I love, again, everything that they do to establish Harry as a character. Like here, he's just driving around and he parks, he stops at this shitty looking 70s diner to get a hot dog. I want to draw attention to something too, because there's something that I noticed watching this time. I don't know if I've noticed it in the past, but as he goes into that restaurant, it's right next door to a movie theater and it's playing Play Misty for me, which is a Clint Eastwood film, (laughs) which I think is kind of funny. And as he's getting his hot dog from this one guy at the diner, he asks him like, is that one tan Ford or whatever still running? So he noticed it. He's in no position. He thinks something's going on, but he's in no position to just get out and stop whatever criminal activity is going on. Yeah, because he needs his hot dog. Yeah, he, well, he wants his hot dog. He's also like, you you want backup on this scene, obviously. But he does tell the guy to call the police and tell them, oh, you know, whatever 411 is going on or whatever code number he uses. Mm-hmm. The bank alarm goes off and there are shots fired. And so Harry, with, like, hot dog in his mouth, is like, oh, shit. And so he has to go out there and do something himself. He shoots a guy getting out of the bank, and then someone else jumps into the car, which was idling, and the car takes off. But he shoots the driver, and then he, he shoots the other person who gets out of the car. And there's the, the car obviously crashes. It sets off, like, a... Uh, Fire hydrant. Fire hydrant. I mean, it's just, I love this. I'm pretty sure this is a set, but this is an awesome city set. Then Harry goes up to the first person he shot and sees that that guy who's been shot in like the shoulder is reaching for his shotgun. And Harry stops him, points his gun at him. And of course, his gun is the 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, as he says. And he goes on this big old speech saying i know what you're thinking did i fire six shots or only five because the gun holds six shots and he he claims well to tell you the truth in all this excitement i've forgotten but you can go ahead and test your luck you know (laughs) do do you feel lucky he gives him an opportunity like you can test me to see if i have a bullet and reach for that shotgun but if i do have one you're dead or you can just not do it and then so he doesn't reach for the gun harry takes the gun and then the guy on the ground the criminal is like wait i gots to know 
And then Harry comes back, pulls the trigger, but no bullet comes out. (laughs) So Harry knew all along, right? Or maybe he didn't. Maybe he is insane. I think both work for this character. I think he knew. Yeah, I mean, like, I think he knew, but even if he didn't know, he wouldn't have cared. And that's what I think Probably. is really cool about this scene. Yeah, and this is an incredible scene. Great character establishment. This first act, what this does for this Harry Callahan character is just like, oh man, I'm so on board. It's it's like I could watch five movies starring this guy, because that's exactly how many came <laughs> out. And to be honest, the fifth one kind of sucks, but so maybe I'd only watch four movies with this guy. Before we move off of this bank robbery scene, coming relatively fresh off the Terminator... In this movie, Dirty Harry is like a Terminator. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Like, there's always these, like, really cool shots of him, like, half-shrouded in He's the in He's mist. the Terminator with a personality, though. He is, yeah. Because the Terminator great. couldn't do this, do you feel lucky thing. The Terminator would just shoot him. <laughs> do you feel lucky? <laughs> like, uh, Harry, like, makes a game out of it a little bit, even just to entertain himself. I don't know. I mean, it's entertaining to the audience, too, obviously. Yeah, but he's just he's just such a badass because half the time he's like shrouded in a mist from the fire hydrant and stuff. And you just see, mm-hmm. see him unflinchingly firing his gun <laughs> just at these mm-hmm. robbers, you know, through this water spout. It's like he's unstoppable. And he also gets pegged in the leg. Yes, he gets shotgun. shot here and yeah. basically doesn't react. He gets shot in the leg. <laughs> I know. And he just he just walks all over the place. <laughs> it's it's when he's getting the bullet removed. That is the that's the first of two references to his wife, mm-hmm. because the doctor says something like like oh don't you ever get tired of this doesn't is, is, is you know just go home to your wife and then he just is like oh I'm sorry mm-hmm. there's something going on with the wife or something went on with the wife yeah and that scene also great line where the doctor's about to cut his pants off and he goes what are those for he goes I'm going to cut your pants off Harry goes well for twenty nine ninety five I'll just take them off or something <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, that is my favorite scene of the movie. It's got one of the most famous movie speeches in history. But coming back to where we left off, my second favorite scene in the movie, there is a suicidal man atop a building. <laughs> Harry and Chico just kind of stumble upon it. Harry's like, yeah, sure, I'll go up. I'll, I'll talk the guy down. And you, you're, you're kind of thinking, like, if anyone knows Harry, they're like, oh, this, this isn't going to go well. And at this point, the character's been so well established. That you as the audience, like, you're just waiting for something to go wrong here. You're expecting it yeah. to. because, yeah. And it does, but it also doesn't. This works out perfectly well because Harry goes up there and the guy's like, oh, don't don't even bother trying to talk, talk me down from this. I've made my decision. And Harry's like, no, 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 I'm not here to do that. I'm just trying to, I've, I've handled a lot of these cases before when people hit the ground, you know, their <laughs> bodies is, are just like, it's in a pulp and it's really complicated. And, and, you know, so you would just save us a lot of time and effort if you just gave us your name and your address. <laughs> so, so, because even if you have your ID, you know, we might not be able to identify your body or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And the guy's like, you can see him, he's getting like terrified, like, oh, what? And then he eventually just says a few more things to him that insult him. And then the guy gets so pissed, he, he goes to like jump at Harry and and then Harry grabs him. Harry's on top of one of those uh, fire hydrant, uh, or not fire hydrant, fire truck, like ladder things or whatever, like those mm-hmm. platforms. And then while the guy's like holding on to the side of it, Harry just knocks him out and just, <laughs> and just holds on to him as they lower him down. It is hilarious. Well, the whole I crowd below scene. is like, you didn't have to hit him. Why did he hit him? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is so funny. 
Well, it's great, yeah. <laughs> and then this is, um, so I mentioned earlier, Chico's wondering, okay, why did they call you Dirty Harry? When he finds out that he was peeping on a naked woman, he's like, oh, now I know why they call you Dirty Harry. But then this scene here is Callahan goes, well, goes to chico he says well now you know why they call me dirty harry every dirty job that comes along like i have to handle it because everybody else sucks or everybody's (laughs) incompetent and it's like okay yeah um so that's like that little kind of runner of like multiple explanations for his nickname i guess though he is a dirty peeping tom as well (laughs) yes so Amidst all this excitement, at one point, we didn't see it, but Scorpio did kill a black man, or a black kid. I think they say he's like 12 years old. They set up like a sting operation where they're trying to catch Scorpio outside of a Catholic church because they think now he's going to go kill a priest. And this is a really awesome scene where they do catch Scorpio, but they're shooting at him from over on this building, this rooftop, where they've got this big tall pillar with just neon lights that say jesus saves and that's like spinning and scorpio eventually just shoots out all those lights so they can't really see him harry goes chasing him on foot but he gets away this case in this case it's a lot more believable that he gets away than than when he's being chased on a helicopter yeah and this whole night scene is just there's also a naked woman in this scene <laughs> there's a, right maybe yes. this is the, maybe this is the scene where chico is like no now i know like, because he's got his like binoculars and he's looking and there's like uh two people having sex or something in like some <laughs> in some window and he's like watching that yeah well no there's like just like a, a naked woman walking around and he's like oh well you've earned it little harry and then he just keeps on watching her instead of watching the rooftops <laughs> yeah and then that's when they realize that scorpio is on the rooftop so Scorpio, again, off screen, abducts a 14-year-old girl and claims that she's got enough oxygen. He, well, he's buried her alive, and he says that she's got enough oxygen to last until, like, tomorrow morning or whatever. But you need to give me all this money. You need to send one person unarmed to deliver the money to me at this dock somewhere. And it obviously ends up being Harry, though he doesn't carry a gun. Or no, he does carry a gun, but he also stows away like a stiletto knife. He tapes it to his ankle. And there's a line from, I don't know if it's his police chief or captain or like a lieutenant says something like, oh, it's disgusting that a police officer should should know how to use that weapon or something. It's like, okay, it's it's, again, it's like Harry's basically a a gangbanger, basically, is what is what this guy's thinking. Also, yeah, I'd rather I'd rather you blow a hole in somebody's chest than stab them. Yeah, you have a forty-four <laughs> Magnum. That's not police issued. He bought that himself. Like, right? You probably wouldn't want a revolver, would you? I mean, no, because it's only got six shots. Yeah, well, and and also just the time it takes to fire those shots, to fire consecutive shots, anyways. You know, from all those westerns, he 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 works better with revolvers, right? Well, exactly, and that's what he is like in this movie. He is like a like a like a modern cowboy, a San Francisco cowboy, He's a gunslinger. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's true. I mean, this is in some ways a change of pace for Eastwood because you're seeing him in a modern setting, but he's still kind of playing the same character in a lot of ways. It's, mm-hmm. There's a lot of similarities. 
So Harry Callahan shows up to this dock with the briefcase full of money, but there's no Scorpio. Instead, a payphone rings, and he basically is taken on this wild goose chase going from public payphone to public payphone, trying to hear from Scorpio to hear where he's supposed to go next. It's a really tense scene. It's like pitch black outside. He's going in and out of buildings, getting these phones. Eventually, he runs into Scorpio at a park. Scorpio holds him at gunpoint, tells him to drop his gun, and then starts beating him. And he says, like, you know, I'm actually just going to let her die. Like, I don't even thanks for the money, but we're, but I'm just going to kill her. Mm-hmm. Chico, who's been listening in because Callahan's wearing a wire, comes in and starts shooting at Scorpio, despite Harry telling him not to. So there's a shootout. Chico gets shot, but is still alive. Scorpio doesn't get shot because it's it's when he's distracted when he's shooting at Chico that Harry is able to get to his knife and he stabs Scorpio in the leg and Scorpio <laughs> yeah. lets out the most blood-curdling scream and it's an incredible <laughs> noise. It's it's amazing. Yeah. And then and then he stumbles away. And Harry, who's just been beaten to a pulp, basically just passes out here. But when Harry's back at the police station, they find out that a hospital has treated a man with a stab wound in the leg, which you'd think the hospital would have held on to this guy a little bit longer than they did. Yeah. Like, I know that the, the Scorpio stuff isn't out in the press, but if someone shows up with like a, with like a gang-related wound... There's usually a lot of questions to ask at a hospital, right? Like, I know there's uh, this has come up in TV, so maybe it's not accurate, but I've always heard, like, if you go to a hospital with a bullet wound, like, they, the police will automatically show up and ask you questions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I would think the same would be true of a if you have a giant stiletto knife sticking out of your thigh, but what do I know? <laughs> Unless I just fell on it while I was walking down the stairs. But even just having that knife, that's not just a typical, like self-defense weapon that's a it's a jalo weapon yeah it's it, it's a, that's a weapon you go around killing naked women in rome with you know <laughs> in the 70s and 80s at any rate harry and fatso i don't i don't recall fatso's actual name but that's what harry calls them go down to this hospital and they ask questions about this guy that they treated and they're like oh he didn't give a name but i seem to recognize him from the days when there was football at that stadium over there he used to like hand out programs or whatever Mm -hmm. and they're like yeah i think he lives in that stadium so for for not asking the right questions they somehow got a lot of information on this guy because yes he does live in the stadium it's like a Rudy situation. If you watch the movie Rudy, he's like staying, he's living in <laughs> Notre Dame Stadium situation. or whatever. So Harry goes over there. He breaks into his little living quarters and then eventually finds him running or like limp running across the football field. I don't know what stadium this is, by the way. I assume it's probably a college stadium because I don't think it's... Because they said like when they used to play football there or something like that. So it's not like where the 49ers currently play. You know, mm-hmm. it's not Candlestick Park, which currently as in 1971 so i don't know if this is a college stadium or whatever but harry shoots him around midfield fatso turns on the lights and then harry goes over there and starts torturing the guy 
trying to find out where this girl, where this 14-year-old girl is being held. He steps on his, like, wound and presses it in. And it's a horrific scene. And Scorpio all this time is screaming that he demands a lawyer. You you shot me. You, you're trying to kill like me. That. He has yeah. rights. And then so the next scene, Harry is informed from, I don't know, the district attorney or something that Scorpio wasn't spitting. Scorpio is indeed going to be released <laughs> because they cannot spit. and this is well actually this actually, is the i think the next scene is we see the girl being pulled out of a well in front of well the sure okay well and we'll get we, to that she's yeah. yeah the girl's dead but yeah so this is the most unrealistic part of the movie for me there is no way in hell this guy would just be released even if they determined that certain aspects of harry's arrest were yes highly illegal they would find a way to fucking hold on to this guy for a while still, yeah, right? Because they're like, like three people. Not only that, but at this point, Harry would be able to say he's acting on probable cause, right? Because the, the district attorney and they bring in some like professor from like Berkeley, some law professor or something, and they're like, yeah, well, you know, it's all because that because that fourteen year old girl was actually dead when all this happened. They're saying that's why. It couldn't have been probable cause because the girl was dead all this time. But they have all those, they have that note saying that she's going to be alive until this certain time. So they had every reason to believe she was alive. Mm -hmm. I have trouble accepting this, especially knowing what we know now about the police. And you don't even need, you don't even need legal justification for a lot of stuff they do. All the police are dirty Harrys. <laughs> I'm kind of with Harry on this. I got to be honest. This is some insane bs scorpio's lawyer has pulled yeah and i think the audience is with harry on this as well at this yeah point. but but it's a but it's a movie there's the the big uh you know it's like well what about the, that guy has rights and then harry's like what about those rights of that little girl or something you know <laughs> yeah this is a little insane but harry <laughs> harry vows to basically just follow scorpio once he's released basically just waiting for him to fuck up <laughs> and he's following him and he's 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 always like we you see a number of scenes of scorpio just going around town he's like hanging out at this playground he's going to a titty bar harry's always there wearing his sunglasses just watching him <laughs> it's great he really is like the terminator then the movie almost slips into the absurd a little bit where scorpio goes to like some abandoned warehouse or something like a basement of some like torn down building and goes to this guy and pays him to beat him up. It's really weird. <laughs> but it's kind of amazing. And it's like I love the implication that there's just people out there that do this. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> there's like almost something like John Wick about it. I don't know what it yeah, is, yeah, but that's it's just what like I was this say. is like yeah. secret <laughs> underground stuff. Because he gets beaten up and then claims that Callahan did it. So suddenly there's a whole other legal nightmare, which because Harry doesn't deny following the guy. He's like, yeah, I followed him on my spare time, but you, but you know, I didn't do this. And they're like, oh, how, how do we know that? And he's like, because he looks too good. He's, 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 he's got a point there. He would have finished the job. He would have just killed the guy. So at this point, what can Harry do? Really, like he's kind of screwed. He's, I guess he's, he's like off the case, or I guess there just isn't a case at this point. Yeah, and he's, and he's not following him around anymore because the guy's in the hospital. It's yeah. hard to follow a guy. <laughs> But this is the ultimate, like, insane dude move. Like, Scorpio, I mean, this movie, it's obviously, it's Dirty Harry, right? You remember the Dirty Harry character. That's the real memorable part of the movie. This Scorpio killer is amazing. He is such a good villain. 
He does not get enough credit in the history of film villains, I don't think. But this is the, this is the true sign of a crazy person, a dude that's willing to just pay someone to beat him up to frame <laughs> someone. Like, the, killing a 14-year-old girl is one thing. This dude is insane. Or, you know, stealing a school bus, also insane. <laughs> that stuff happens, though. Hijacking school buses, that stuff happens. This paying someone to beat you up and make it look like the police did. I'm not sure... People do do this. Well, you know, my uh, favorite... Jesse Smollett is probably the closest <laughs> comparison I can think of. What a loser! Well, my favorite part about that scene, if I'm being completely, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest, is he he gives this big black guy two hundred bucks. Also, also going back to Jesse Smollett, Scorpio is smart enough to pay cash here. America, let me just tell you something. What's that? Uh, do not commit crimes with checks. <laughs> Come on, man. You cannot. If you're gonna break the law, do not write a check. Because you're writing a check that what? No. Behind cash. <laughs> Yo, man, you cannot you cash up. <laughs> hey, get cash, man. But no, he pays this big black guy like 200 bucks in cash, and he goes, "I want." every penny's worth and after the the guy roughs him up a bit he goes man you're looking pretty bad like are you sure you want me to continue and <laughs> scorpio says i want every penny's worth what is it you big black yeah he says something or something and then, and then so the guy is like got no business like okay i guess i guess you want this yeah, so he like stomps on his chest <laughs> it was great and yeah that's the marker of a true crazy person you're right <laughs> So the next time we see Scorpio, he's stopping at a liquor store and he's buying a bottle of liquor and he talks to, he makes some small talk with the liquor store owner and he's like, hey, hey, aren't you the guy who's been robbed a bunch of times on that I've seen on TV? And he's like, oh yeah, that's me. And then he pulls his gun out from behind the counter and he's like, but I always keep this on. They don't rob me anymore. And then Scorpio just smashes him, or smashes the bottle over, the, over his head and takes the gun. <laughs> I love it. I love that scene. It's... <laughs> Again, it's kind of like darkly humorous. Like this guy kind of just fell into this. Well, exactly. This, this yeah, liquor yeah. store owner. Well, it's funny because like when that happens, you're like, oh, I totally get why he gets robbed all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's an idiot. He can get a gun by other means. Does he have to smash a bottle of liquor over this poor guy's head to yeah, get like, one? Like, I don't I know. assume he can it's a buy a scene. gun in America in 1971. I assume he has money. Yeah, there. I in San Francisco. It's it's you know it's a little. <laughs> The early warning system might detect something with uh, <laughs> with Scorpio here. And, well, the early warning systems for like credit cards and stuff. But you know what I mean. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> Scorpio gets to a school bus, invites himself on board, says something about how I'm, I'm, the, I'm the school bus inspector or whatever. Driver's like, hey, you can't be on here. And then he shows her his gun and he just takes her hostage. And then to distract the kids, he makes them all sing. Which, again, there's something just demented about this kind of thing he's like he's trying to be he's trying to make the kids not uneasy but then eventually when they all start getting uncomfortable then he just starts screaming at them and it's just oh this guy's just a menace but (laughs) while he's done all this he's also he's also left a note for the mayor saying that he's going to have hostages and that he wants money in a plane or whatever then eventually he pulls over the school bus calls the mayor and says exactly the this hostage situation i think it's five kids and the school bus driver Mm -hmm. the plan is for one person one person alone to deliver the money to him at this airport and then the pilots to take him off and they don't know where they're going until they actually get there obviously it's a classic db cooper kind of situation but of course the person who ends up taking the money 
is Harry Callahan, of course. And he even, like, as he's leaving the mayor's office, he just flat out says, like, we're not, I'm not playing by this guy's rules anymore. But, but they still let him go. He says, well, I guess, no, he doesn't even have the money. He refuses to take the money. Yeah. And they're expecting him to just stay away. And obviously he doesn't. There's that awesome shot of the school bus going by this bridge. And you just see Harry Callahan standing on top of the bridge. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, 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 and then he jumps onto the school bus. This school bus conveniently has like bars to grab onto on the top of it. I've never seen a school bus with these. I feel like they're only there for this stunt. You, you know what I'm <laughs> yeah. talking about? It looks yes, like they have like yeah. a bike rack or something. Yeah, like, like, like a roof rack for luggage. That's what it looked like. That's exactly what it looks like. And... It's it's not like an insane stunt. It's no it's no like Mad Max kind of thing. But it's a fun stunt. You can tell it's actually Eastwood in, in many of the shots. So it's probably him the entire time, and that's why they have those bars to make it's to make it not that not actually that dangerous. But it's still it's still a satisfying stunt to see a guy jump on top of a of a school bus and hang on to the school bus as it starts swerving and stuff. Well, it's a cool stunt because it's a believable stunt. You know, like it sure. looks doable. <laughs> And then, so, Scorpio's trying to shoot him. The bus eventually crashes. All the kids and stuff just run off. The bus crashes near a quarry that Scorpio runs to. And again, he he, he does a really convincing limp run mm-hmm. throughout this movie because he's been stabbed in the leg, of course. <laughs> he's also had that same injured leg stepped on, stomped on by Harry. So the shootout in this quarry is awesome. There's like all these conveyor belts with rocks going around that Harry at one point like rides around. There's they're they're shooting at each other. There's a lot of dust flying around from the bullets hitting all this old wood and stuff. <laughs> and eventually Scorpio exits the quarry, happens to find a small child fishing at this like at this pond yeah. or man-made lake or whatever <laughs> next to this right next to the quarry machinery. <laughs> <laughs> who fortunately has not heard all the gunshots, which which actually makes sense with how loud the quarry is. That's believable enough to me. Mm-hmm. So he runs up to the kid, grabs him, holds the gun at his head, and turns back to Callahan and goes like, it's over. Like, I've got this kid. It's it's all over. You can't do anything to me now. And then Harry kind of pretends. He, he feigns like he's putting his gun down, but then he just lifts it back up and shoots Scorpio right in the shoulder, which gets him to let go of the kid the kid runs off and then we get an echo of the previous of the bank robbery scene as harry goes up to this guy on the dock they do this did i fire six shots or only five thing again as as scorpio is kind of reaching for his own gun scorpio eventually tries his luck reaches for the gun and gets shot and falls into this lake or pond or whatever and harry just kind of looks at what he's done and just takes out his police badge and throws it in the water He's done. He's not coming back for any sequels. <laughs> Never. And that is the end of Dirty Harry. It's kind of a, it's a heroic but also somber ending because it's kind of sad music and he throws the police badge in. But yeah, it's a bit of a downbeat ending, I think, even though it is heroic. Well, and it would be kind of, I mean, Harry it'd be Callahan cooler if he was on top of like a rooftop in San Fran or something and he shoots him and he falls all the way down. But I'll take this ending. And you're looking for more collateral damage that he can fall <laughs> on top of a small child or something? No, yeah. this is this is a fine setting. The quarry setting is great for a feels like a kind of James Cameron-y because James Cameron loves his like industrial settings for big action scenes, right? Yes, yes, he does, and so does um, what's his name? Twin Peaks. Uh, what's his name? Dana Ashbrook. No, stop it. Uh, 
Laura Flynn Boyle? No, stop it. Director. What's his name? Mark Frost. Stop, I hate you so much. Anyways, he likes big industrial sets, too. <laughs> yeah, but not for action scenes. No, David no, Lynch doesn't do likes... action scenes. Yeah, well, apparently him and James Cameron would sometimes walk around and look at industrial sets together. <laughs> What's his so, name? Jim, what did you think of... <laughs> I already said his name. is David Lynch. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I said it. I said it. I, I mean, I... I notably didn't say it for a long time, but I did. I did. I did let it slip at one oh, point. Oh, good. But... Okay, good. Yes, David Lynch. Anyways, continue. Ask me the question. <laughs> Jim, what did you think of Dirty Harry? Well, it's a great movie. It's a it's a classic for a reason. It's described on the box as a neo noir. I don't okay. know necessarily how true that is. I'm also not even sure what a neo noir is. Can I can I say something about neo noir again? This is a couple episodes ago with Mad Max. We talked about how my interpretation of the word dystopian is apparently different from how most people use it. I'm going to say something kind of similar about neo-noir, and I think this is just really... When I first heard about neo-noir, it was like Blade Runner Mm -hmm. and maybe a few other kind of sci-fi movies, maybe Soylent Green a little bit. And so I thought neo-noir, because neo sounds like sci-fi. I mean, it just means new, obviously, but I thought neo-noir had to be sci-fi. And really, it's not. It's It's just modern. Yes. And so we could say neo-noir is just noir that's not in black and white, right? Be- but then it's just like, is is noir different than just film noir? Is is film noir with specifically as like a proper noun? Is that Does that have to be black and white and just like noir, neo-noir doesn't have to be? Because like I've, I've seen John Wick described as neo-noir. I've seen uh, Blue Velvet. Speaking of David Lynch, a lot of David Lynch stuff, I feel like, is neo-noir-ish. Well, you know why I Min- think- Minority Report was definitely one of the sci-fi movies that I had seen described as that. Well, you know why I think something like John Wick is described as neo-noir? It's because of this movie, Dirty Harry, or the Dirty Harry franchise. Because Clint Eastwood is... he. Well, first off, he's such a cool character, and that's what really propels this movie, is Clint Eastwood and his interactions with the world around him. But he is this awesome character to watch, and he's just so, like, grizzled and gruff, and he doesn't take any shit, and he gives too much shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And he is, I guess, this noir-ish character, right? He's kind yeah, of he, like... Yeah, he, he is. He's a modern noir hero where he's like morally gray there was more of a there's a lot in a lot of the classic film noir from the 40s and 50s and stuff there's a lot more of like a sexual component to those movies that isn't in dirty harry and they couldn't go too into it in some of those old movies because they're old movies obviously Mm -hmm. but neo-noir usually like there's the there's the femme fatale obviously or the not neo-noir but film noir classic film noir but the noir hero is just this kind of morally gray a lot of times he doesn't seem to care that much about whatever case his is. It's more of a thing of duty. And in this case, I guess Harry cares a lot about catching Scorpio Killer, but does he care for the right reasons? Does he does he actually care about the 14-year-old girl, or does he just really want to kill this guy? Or, or does he, because he doesn't care about all the rules and regulations that govern policing and mm-hmm. law enforcement, obviously, about that, so... Yeah, he is he is a he is a hyper violent Sam Spade in some respects, I think. And again, he's what propels this movie and I think what makes this movie great. I don't know if this movie would be as good with another actor playing a different type of character. You know what I mean? I don't know how well you know this, but there were a lot of different actors reportedly either interested or at least considered for this role. 
I'm going to list some of them. I think all of them are terrible, <laughs> are terrible. And maybe it's because we have Eastwood to measure up to, but like, I can't imagine these other actors doing justice, but how about Frank Sinatra? Can you picture Frank Sinatra as Dirty Harry? No, no. And by no, 71, absolutely. he's like fat. Yeah. Old. And that's, that's, that's the other thing. The age is, is a factor on most of these guys. Cause also John Wayne and John Wayne was like, he had one foot in the tombstone in 71 almost, but like, I don't know. And, and, and John Wayne, apparently I think it was the first choice. And I think he turned it down because he felt it was too violent. He didn't like the, the R rated aspects of the film, the, the, the aspects of the film that Clint Eastwood wouldn't mind because that's what a lot of his movies were. They were just more modern and more violent John Wayne movies in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And then another one considered was Steve McQueen. Eh, overrated. Which, I think he would have been better than Wayne or Sinatra, but yeah, he would not have been my first choice. I think Eastwood is perfect. I think you could have gotten some other actors. You could have maybe gotten a Bronson. Bronson's a little older, obviously, or at least looks a lot older than Eastwood, but with the Death Wish movies coming a few years later, you can kind of see a similarity there. Like, yeah, maybe he could have done that, but any actor I don't think is doing a better job than Eastwood. It just There mm-hmm. might be some that would do it pretty well. Yeah, yeah, and and going back to the John Wayne thing, it's interesting that John Wayne was thought of for this role when he's, like, the family man. John Wayne, well, and that's the thing, though, because Eastwood and John Wayne are both conser- politically conservative because, because the character of Harry Callahan is politically very conservative. The difference is John Wayne was more social values conservative, I think, and, and Eastwood's probably more more economically conservative, maybe. Like Eastwood, like imagine John Wayne in an R-rated movie. Imagine John Wayne saying the F word or <laughs> peeping on a naked woman. Like, there's a reason we never saw it. Yeah. And it's not just because of his age. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because yeah. he was still making movies in the '70s. He could have made a movie where he's just, you know, fuck this, fuck that, all that stuff. And it's like, no, he didn't. He don't want to do that. That yeah. wasn't who John Wayne was. I think his character that he played that mo- that most closely resembles Dirty Harry would have been Rooster Cogburn, I guess. Oh yeah, he does say bitch. Fill your hands, you son of a bitch. That's probably <laughs> as vulgar as John Wayne ever got. I know, and I bet he had to go wash his mouth out with soap after he finished filming that scene. Quite possibly. Yeah, Dirty Harry, great movie, great acting, cool story, fun action. Nothing over the top, but it's serviceable, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, it is fun to watch. Yeah, great shots of San Francisco in the 70s, in the early 70s, which was kind of like right. a magical time that you kind of pointed out earlier. It was the transition out of the hippy-dippy era. Well, the, and and that's specifically the San Francisco thing. What I find fascinating about 70s urban movies in general is that the 70s was just the most filthy time <laughs> in America's history, basically. And it's just where there's just porno theaters everywhere. You know, it's it's the porno chic era. This is right around the time when porno movies were actually becoming mainstream. And, and it's like, yeah, sure, we'll just have peep shows on every street corner. You know, it's a magical time. It's truly, it's, 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 I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. I just, I, I have such trouble believing that cities were like that. Like not that long ago. I know, I know it's weird. And I know, and I know they were, I've seen the footage. I've seen basket case. I've seen taxi driver. (laughs) I just have, it's, it's just hard to wrap my head around that though. Well, while you try to wrap your head around that, how about you tell me how you feel about Dirty Harry? Do you like it? Sure. Yeah. Well, I love this movie. It's one of my favorite movies really of all time. I think Eastwood's awesome. I love him as an actor. I think, again, not the most complicated performance. Eastwood has certainly delivered better performances, more nuanced performances in his acting career. 
but the character is so much fun and he embodies all of what makes Dirty Harry, what makes Harry Callahan fun to watch and also there's like a love to hate him aspect to it too. Yes, yeah. Like I, I again I do 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 think I don't think this movie's necessarily a conservative movie. I think Callahan's definitely a super conservative hero, but I think the movie does ask questions about him. And I do love that like with how awesome Scorpio is as a killer, as a villain, it's like reasonable for someone to think, yeah, we actually do need dirty Harry's out there. Yes. Because if <laughs> if if we have people like Scorpio, how do we deal with that? You know, I I, mm. I think the movie I, I don't know if it's an intelligent movie. It's not a, certainly not a dumb movie, but I do think it's like worth asking questions like that. You certainly when you're watching a movie like this, and also just to hit upon the politics of this movie a bit, a court. So this movie is I think I mentioned it already, but directed by Don Siegel. Don Siegel, one of the two directors that Eastwood credits for why he is such a good director or like why he went into directing he's like i felt like i knew everything i needed to know about directing from working with don siegel and sergio leone because they're two of the greatest directors ever especially leone i think siegel probably a little underrated historically not really not that he should be brought up necessarily with like kubrick and scorsese but man was a great director worked with john wayne also he i think he did the shootist which is john wayne's last movie i believe and one of his better ones i would say he also did Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original from the 50s, which is an awesome movie as well. But supposedly Don Siegel was super politically liberal. And I had read something like his two biggest movies or the two, you know, his two most memorable movies were these movies that were seen by so many people to be conservative movies, Dirty Harry and Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Invasion of the Body Snatchers, how it deals with kind of the Red Scare and stuff like that. So the argument that this person was saying was basically that Don Siegel films were misinterpreted. I don't know. That may or may not be true. I think, again, I, I just think this movie's good at raising some questions. I don't think it's glorifying what Dirty Harry, what Harry Callahan does. I don't think it's necessarily, he's not the villain the way Scorpio is, certainly. But yeah. yeah, I don't I don't know. You can read Dirty Harry from either side of the political aisle, I think. And that doesn't necessarily make it worse. I think that almost makes it better in some ways that there's layers to it. Yeah, I agree. At the end of the day, what he stands for is left up to the specific audience members watching the movie. Well, what what he yeah. stands for, what Callahan stands for is clear. What the movie, what the movie is saying about that, I think is up to the audience yes yeah but yeah callahan is one of the most one of the least mysterious film characters i think <laughs> i can think of he's very blunt we know exactly his deal even the even the little things are left mysterious about his wife and stuff but no we know who harry callahan is what he is what he stands for but it's a magical film despite all that i think i've always said this action films action as a genre changed drastically in like the 80s you know when you get your James Cameron's and you know Die Hard and all that stuff it's like it's a lot more energetic it's a lot faster paced I don't know what started that but I do know you see older movies older action movies and you're like oh this is barely an action movie by today's standards like what I think Dirty Harry falls into that Death Wish does and I think James Bond from Goldfinger on was was pretty modern in its action sensibilities but I think Dirty Harry is probably my favorite of those like pre-80s like it's my favorite of like those slow for lack of a better term boring action movies Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and it, it, it's where the action isn't about the speed, the energy. It's more just about the brutality. I don't know if this will make sense, but one shot from Dirty Harry's forty-four Magnum feels like forty-five shots fired from Arnold's, you know, helicopter gun in Predator or whatever. You know, whatever you know that gun I'm talking about. It's like kind of yeah, like a yeah. Gatling gun type thing. I feel like you feel the impact of every single bullet fired in this movie that, you know, you don't always in some of the more action-packed movies out there. Yeah, you know, I I think that's a really good way to explain it. Yeah, I agree. Well, do you want to talk about a movie that has impacted me in many ways? Uh, I'm sure it has impacted you in many ways, but it also ties in... What's that supposed to mean? Yes, (laughs) but it also ties into our sleazy porn of the 70s of America. Okay, hang on, hang on. This is a classy film, Death Stalker 2. (laughs) I'm not not gonna hear any of this. (laughs) Listen, what do you... Listen, Death Stalker 2 came out in 1987, but it was written... It wasn't the, the only thing that came out then. It was written by the infamous Jim Wynorski. No, it wasn't. Yes, it, it was, was directed by him. It was he didn't write it. You're right. No, he wrote. He came up with the story and he didn't write the screenplay. Oh bullshit! Oh wait, you might be right. Yeah, you're probably right. I am right. Def- Listen, it was definitely directed your research. by him. Oh, it was so. certainly directed. This is a Jim Wynorski film through and through. <laughs> Okay, listen. But I will say, even even though he didn't write it, he did come up with the story. It's listen. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. It says he helped. He says he wrote it. Look at IMDb. But I, I was just going to say, I I read that this script was written 100% serious, and then Wynorski's directing it, and he's like, yeah, we're just not going to take this movie seriously, and he made it into a comedy, and I think that's a stroke of genius. I haven't seen a ton of Jim Wynorski movies. I've seen, I'm assuming, more than you. This might be my favorite one of his, Return to Swamp Things up there. Not coincidentally, both those films feature Monique Gabrielle and her two talents. <laughs> well, that might be the only two talents that that poor woman has. <laughs> I will say, she's one of the worst actresses in, in history, obviously. <laughs> but I will say, what makes her kind of fun to watch versus like other bad actors is you can see her trying so hard that it makes it funny. <laughs> The way she moves her mouth and the way she moves her eyebrows, you know she's trying so hard. She just doesn't have a single talent, and she doesn't have a single gene of talent yeah, in she, that incredibly sexy body of hers, she, she unfortunately. She just doesn't get it. You know, whatever it is, she no, just doesn't get it. I, I do think, though, with this movie being a comedy, it's it's kind of a farce of itself. I think she fits in pretty well, actually, but that's, you know, whatever. Other things fit well in her, too. That's the thing. <laughs> well, see, <laughs> I was going to say the sleazy porno 70s thing that I was trying to tie into was actually Monique Gabrielle, whose real name is Catherine G- Gonzalez. Uh, she also- I have read about what she goes by Monique Gabrielle Kernan now, I think, or something. And yes. I think she's like runs a porn company or something. Yes, I believe so. And she also went by a different name. I'm trying to find it, but I can't find it right now, right now but she was in a couple pornos but apparently she was not doing any of the uh well, I, acting I, in the pornos i i think i think she was in a couple like in her in her prime in the 80s she was in a couple non 
explicit roles or she was in some like softcore movies because she's Emmanuel in Emmanuel 5 which is the first Emmanuel film not to feature Sylvia Christel I don't know if it's viewed as an official Emmanuel film I'm sure they made more after that uh. but at, at some point later in her career I think she did do hardcore stuff and I think she maybe even directed and produced some of that stuff too that's the Monique Gabriel that I don't know I know <laughs> the Monique Gabriel in Bachelor Party Deathstalker 2. Emmanuel 5. Emmanuel 5. I've seen that one. Uh, I know I've seen her in some other she things. She was in Airplane 2, apparently. As oh, um, uh, Amazon Women on the Moon is a, is a great role for her. She plays like a Playboy playmate who refuses to put on her clothes. And there's like a little... That's a weird movie. It's not a very good movie, but, but that's a memorable <laughs> scene of hers. Which, by the way, she was a she was on the cover of Penthouse, I think. Oh, yeah, here's her Here's her name. Although she was in the 1986 adult film Bad Girls 4, credited as Luana Chass, she did not play an explicit part. Oh, she's also in, uh, speaking of like, in, kind of in the vein of Emmanuel, she's in Lady Chatterley's Lover 2 yeah, or something Lady like that. Yeah, Young Lady Chatterley 2. She plays like a maid that gets banged in the she plays. She plays a maid with, I can't remember if it was a terrible or a half-decent Irish accent, but yes, I enjoyed her in that movie. Well, knowing her, it was probably terrible. But yeah, so... <laughs> this poor woman is perhaps the worst actor that we featured on this podcast. And it's unfortunate that she takes up a huge part of this movie. No, it's not. <laughs> She's the best part of them. Well, I will say she and John Terleski, who plays Deathstalker, for very different reasons, they are the best part of the movie. I mean, Monique Gabrielle, yeah. obviously for the looks, but also her performance is hilarious with how bad it is. And Terleski's performance is also hilarious, but it's not bad per se. It's just funny. Yeah, well, it's he's not just bad. really it's just, funny. It's just really cheesy, you know. It's it's, ve- it's very cheesy, but it worked for me. This is one of my favorite B movies, I think. You know, yeah. So I, I was going to say that this is possibly one of the most biased B movies we've ever <laughs> we've ever covered on this podcast. This has all the hallmarks of a great B movie. Recycled footage. Yeah. <laughs> you get the, yeah. the the pig mask guy looking at a pig. That I remember that shot in the original Deathstalker. Yeah, we also have sequel <laughs> that has nothing to do with the original movie and is totally tonally different from the original movie and completely recast the lead yes yeah and i will say how many how many sequels have you seen that are basically parodies of the movie that they're a sequel to i guess like airplane would be the only but airplane already was a goofy comedy i i would say texas chainsaw massacre 2 fits in this and okay. maybe <laughs> one or two others but I'll tell you what, I enjoyed this movie a lot more than Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Well, this movie, I, I want to point out, because it, it really is the antithesis to the first Deathstalker movie. The I f- know, it's entertaining. <laughs> okay, how dare you? The first Deathstalker was a true sword and sorcery with like lots of tits, or a fair amount of tits, and lots of rape. And rape, it was all rape. It was <laughs> See, that's the thing, it's like the, the tits don't count if it's rape. Oh, okay. No, they don't, because they're not titillating at that point. You know oh, what yes, I mean? Okay, yeah, yeah, I gotcha, I gotcha. So yes, <laughs> I agree. But there were lots of tits in the first movie. There were. And it was a direct, not rip-off, but it was totally <laughs> ripping off Conan it, the Barbarian. It was Conan, and, and it was, you know, I didn't notice this until we actually covered Conan for the podcast, because I didn't know the movie too well, but it was a beat-for-beat beat rip-off of that story, almost. Yes, yes. The first one had decent action and, like, sword stuff. You know, the villain, you know, if you asked me to tell you what the story was about, I probably couldn't. But I just well, remember... You saw in, Conan not that long ago. 
He had to say he had to save a princess who was being held captive by like an evil guy. Yeah, an evil sorcerer guy. Yeah. He came back for the adventure. He came back for the romance. But most of all, he came back for the money. You mean you would have helped me without the money? I didn't say that. Deathstalker 2, Duel of the Titans. Where's Deathstalker? Somebody looking for me. Stalker! You came back! Quite popular demand. Yeah, so Deathstalker 2, it's totally different right off the bat. In the first two minutes, we're introduced to, as we, as you've already pointed out, the different actor who's playing the role of Deathstalker in a totally comedic way. John Terleski, star of Chopping Mall. He is hilarious here. Is he, like, chewing gum throughout the movie? That's it almost feels yeah. like he is. Yeah, because he's always got that, like, mouth, like, kind of open. And he's always smirking. And he's doing this thing with, like, eyebrows. It's like a John Belushi performance. It's hilarious. Yeah, now he does good performance with eyebrows. Whereas Monique Gabrielle does a terrible performance with eyebrows. Eyebrows are up and down the into every side every time side. she needs to emphasize a word, the eyebrows just shoot up. <laughs> she is awful. It's a shame this podcast is audio only because like people need to see this movie if they haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, and also because Monique Gabrielle, she it's a dual role, so it's a difficult role, if you will, because she's playing <laughs> two completely different characters. But only one of those two characters has bangs. Yeah. <laughs> and they every Monique Gabriel character should have bangs because it hides the eyebrows, but even the one that has bangs doesn't hide it enough. She needs she needs like a hat no, or something. But, I don't know. But I feel like she's uh, better at acting angry than she is whatever else with, with Deathstalker. Okay. So anyways, we're introduced to this character, Deathstalker. He's stealing like a gem from a woman. Very Indiana Jones on a budget. Yeah, yeah. There's also a... a sequence that was very much i mean i don't remember which indiana jones movie this is in but there's the scene where he turns the corner and he's off camera for a bit and then he comes running back out and he's being chased by like four people there's an indiana jones shot like that where it's like a joke like that yeah and that's the vibe of this entire movie but worse and uh (laughs) worse No, I mean, I listen, it's worse than Indiana, Indiana Jones, sure. It's funnier than Indiana Jones. This movie's hilarious. Yeah, I mean... And I, most I, of it's intentional. Most of it, not all of it. I will say, I watched this movie twice, and I was at work both times when I had to watch it, and I was in stitches in, in the staff break room watching this movie. Just like Dirty Harry getting that bullet pulled out of him. Yeah. You're cutting off your pants. Exactly, yeah, how'd you know what I was I was doing? cutting off my pants watching this movie, watching the Monique Gabriel scenes. Well, yeah. Well, speaking of Monique Gabrielle, we're introduced to her very shortly after we're introduced to Deathstalker, where she's being thrown out of a bar. She's being thrown out for like an unknown reason, I think. And she just... no, it's revealed she uh, she because she's the seer, and she revealed that this king or prince or whatever that his wife was having a was going to have a baby was that she was pregnant, but but she also revealed that the baby was not his. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, she she gets tossed out. She's a, she's getting beaten up by these goons, and uh, she's like, "Well, you wouldn't hit a princess, would you?" And they're like, "Princess, like go fuck yourself. You're not a princess." So they start beating the shit out of her, and then Deathstalker shows up, and he just he just shows up. He just appears. He's like, "Hey, what's up?" <laughs> yeah, and he's always got this stupid fucking look on his face. Where it's like, hello, is this a woman in need? Yeah, the John Terleski is not taking this movie seriously. And I'm going to say, I think that's exactly how Wynorski wanted him to, to, to act. I think he 
Oh, probably. He fits the tone of the movie perfectly. Yes, yeah. Deathstalker, from this point onwards known as Stalker, not creepy at all. Yeah, that was, that was annoying. The first, because, yeah, his name's Deathstalker. You'd think like a movie called Deathstalker, like, oh, that's a nickname or something. No, in the first movie, that's his real name. But it feels weird to break it up and say that, like, Death is his first name and Stalker is his last name. <laughs> and it's so weird to hear people refer to him as Stalker. And it's <laughs> even weirder because most of the time it's Monique Gabriel saying it, it and it's stalker. just terrible. Stalker, come stalker. back. Stalker. But, th- but there, is a, there is a fun moment when they're riding on horseback when they're getting away from some goons. Death Stalker? Uh-huh. Is that your first name or your last name? Like, I do like that <laughs> moment because, because it just draws attention to just how stupid it is. Okay, well, that that scene has one of my favorite lines in this whole movie. But just to quickly get there, Deathstalker goes into this bar. And what's the Oracle's name? Is it Rena? Rena the Seer? Rena. They go in. Deathstalker's hanging out. There's lots of topless chicks dancing and doing whatever in this bar. And she's got these huge jugs and she's ducking and dodging cups and, and swords and stuff like that. You know, obviously it's titillating. She's not dodging all the cops. Some are right on her. <laughs> I got pass out. I just lost all the breath in my body. <laughs> yeah. Well, big old bar brawl starts and Deathstalker and, and uh, Rena escape on horseback. And uh, yeah, as you were saying, they're outrunning all these goons. And that's when you <laughs> she says, yeah, what's your name, Deathstalker? But the, one of my favorite lines in the movie comes from this scene where Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deathstalker goes, I think we've outrun them. You got to wake up pretty early in the morning to catch me. And Rena goes, it is early in the morning. Yeah. That's right. When they're coming back. Field. It's great. And it's, it's hilarious because it's such a stupid line and it's delivered so stupidly. Yes. <laughs> like it is funny, but it's even funnier because it's delivered so horribly by Mooney Gabriel. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, they continue to outrun all these bad guys, and they decide to hide in a hut. And Rena, the seer, tells Deathstalker that she's a seer, and she can tell him his future. So she says, oh, I see you making a long and perilous journey to the land of Jafir to fight an evil sorcerer named Jarak. And he's gonna, and you're gonna to s- save a princess. That's exactly it. And you're gonna become even more famous than Conan. And he's like, really? Yeah, More okay. Than Conan? This this scene was weird because because she says Conan. I, well, no, I'm fine with that because she says you're going to save a princess, and it's like that first scene we saw her in. She mentions that she's a princess, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, is she lying? And then I think she mentions it even to even to Deathstalker at one point, but it's it's like he's not drawing the connection that maybe she's talking about her, and then it's also weird that when when she says. Is, what is his name? Jarek? Jarek? Jarek, yeah. Jarek. Yeah. When she first says that name, that's one of the funniest funniest acting moments. When she, like, so much effort just to say that name and her eyebrows just shoot out of her head almost. It's hilarious. Jarek. Amazing acting. But yeah, so, I mean, by the end of this movie, obviously, you realize that this future that she was prophesizing was her own future. And she is the princess that's going to be saved. But Deathstalker doesn't know that at the moment. 
so Deathstalker, who's pretty excited about being more famous. Oh, than there's Conan. also a funny gag about how she makes soup for him. Oh, yes. And it's terrible. And then so he just like pours it out when she's not looking. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, you must have been really hungry. Do you want any more? And he's like, like no, I'm still. Nope, couldn't have any more. <laughs> I'm all full. And then all of them, they're leaving the tent. She's like, wait, but there's still soup. Or <laughs> yeah. And he goes, no, we got to go right now. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's so stupid. It's yeah. great. So yeah, so they immediately depart on this journey because Deathstalker wants to be famous and get all kinds of loot for <laughs> completing this quest or whatever. As they leave, we cut to, uh, what's his name again? <laughs> I already said it. Jarek. He's got a perfect clone of Rena who is named Evie. And she's scantily clad for obvious reasons. First first time we see her, she's wearing an outfit that was the woman that got killed That's in real what life I was gonna in, say, in the yeah. first Deathstalker. Yeah, she's the same outfit. She looks amazing. I, she looks... Monique Gabriel with that, like, done-up 80s hair, kind of curly hair, amazing look. Totally. Looks better than the bangs, even. Totally gorgeous woman, but they shit all over her in this movie. Like, there's a line nearer the Hey, some people like that. But there's a line nearer to the end when, like, these pig guards bring a guy into... Oh, that is hilarious. That's one of the best jokes. Yeah, and they walk away, and what, what does he say? He goes... Like, hey, did you see her face? And yeah. then the other pig's like, yeah, great body, though. And it's like, yeah, because they want someone with a pig face. Like, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. or, yeah, I, th- I think, like... They're yeah. not saying she's ugly. They're saying she's amazingly hot, but she doesn't have a pig face. Yeah. It's hilarious. <laughs> I love that line. I love that. Uh, what a clever movie. <laughs> yeah, so Jarek, he made this clone, but he's still trying to test out some kinks you know what i mean but i think <laughs> yeah with the clone what? this this clone cannot live independently of rena if if rena were to die this clone would also die and this jarek i guess doesn't have a claim to the throne i don't really know what jarek's deal is i guess he's i guess he's kind of taken over the kingdom i'm not really sure yeah all we know is he's like a sorcerer who's created a clone and with this help of uh, with the help of the clone he's taken over this kingdom and then we are reintroduced to Sultana, who I'm pretty sure is the woman from the very beginning of the movie, right? Yeah, yeah, she is. She is an underling of the guy's name I keep forgetting. Is she an underling? I think she's kind of she's like She's like the top underling of him, right? Because he's like ordering her around and stuff, and he orders her to check in on a... <laughs> On a one-eyed man named One-Eyed Chin, who yeah. is a underling, underling of Jarek, who he's well, and also And also, so at this point, Rena and Deathstalker are hanging out together. They're on their little adventure. Jarek wants Rena. He doesn't necessarily want her dead at this point, but he wants to capture her so there can't be any tomfoolery to overthrow the clone version of her. Mm-hmm. He's also working on a way to let the clone live independently and then sultana wants deathstalker dead because deathstalker i guess stole something from yeah, her stole this jewel at the beginning of the movie but yeah she well she she gets one of the funniest lines in the movie too if, if you didn't know what kind of movie you were watching in that first scene when there's oh, yes. this kind of goofy <laughs> action she, she she sees him jump out the window and she's like i will have my revenge and deathstalker too and then it cuts to credits and it's like oh my god yeah. they just did a title <laughs> drop of a sequel yeah. in the movie that's amazing exactly yeah it was amazingly terrible or terribly amazing well again <laughs> this movie is a parody of Deathstalker. It's amazing. It's it, like, who, what, why would you do this? But also, I'm glad you did it because I didn't really like the first Deathstalker and I love this movie. <laughs> yeah, this movie is yeah, so much I, fun to watch. 
<laughs> yeah, and I love this is the so Roger Corman, he produced the first Deathstalker movie. He was apparently, according to Jim Wynorski, Corman thought he was going to make Conan, but then he didn't, and someone else made Conan. He was like very upset about that, and he's like, Well, fine, I'll just rip it off, and they did Deathstalker. And then by Deathstalker 2, it's a few years later, Roger Corman must have just been like, Let's just have some fun with this one, guys. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, which oh, yeah, <laughs> okay. is ridiculous. Like, I, I think Deathstalker, they were trying to ape off of Conan's money and box office fame. And at this point, 1987, people don't care that much about Conan. So let's just do whatever. You know, we were contractually obligated to make this movie. Maybe. I don't know. But mm-hmm. let's just have fun with it. One of my favorite visual gags is when Sultan is talking to One-Eyed Chin. And this guy, One-Eyed oh, sure. Chin, has put together a team to take out Deathstalker. And you see, like, all these guys who are all bellied up to the bar. It's super weird, too, how he how he, he introduces them. And he's, like, referencing, like, historical figures. Yeah, and yeah. He's like, oh. The timeline doesn't work for any of them because there's, like, Ivan the Terrible and, and Genghis, Genghis Khan. Khan. Yeah. And it's like, what? These guys didn't live in the same century. And, you know, <laughs> no. it's just really weird stuff. But, again, this is a movie that already referenced Conan as if he was real. So who cares, right? And <laughs> we're just exactly. having fun with it. So he's, like, introducing all these bad guys, all these big, tough, tall, burly bad guys. And then the worst of them all the camera pan. the guy who was who was let go by ivan the terrible yeah, because for being he too was brutal. too cruel yeah yeah <laughs> yeah the camera pans there's nobody there and then it pans down and it's a midget <laughs> and you're like okay classic but my favorite part of this scene too is there's an immediate cut to them firing explosive oh, yeah. arrows like, at death stock yeah arena. <laughs> it was like immediate it was like oh i this i thought this was gonna like come back like 20 minutes from now or something but no just all of a sudden they're there <laughs> and God bless, you know, they they filmed this movie in Argentina, or at least most of it, wherever the hell they filmed. I don't know if they got permission to just blow up the location, but oh my God, there's just explosions. Left and right and center, they're all over the place, and they're big explosions too. Yeah, it's so (laughs) dumb, and it's like, it does look like they're kind of just filming it like a a quarry, you know, kind of like in Dirty Harry, or like, almost like a landfill, like when you see construction along the side of a freeway, and you just see these like big dirt mounds, it looks kind of like they're filming at one of those places, but still, just there's explosions left and right, this isn't a set, this is like, out out there yes, somewhere yeah. you know well then the scene gets even better because all these baddies firing bomb arrows at rena and deathstalker have them like pinned behind a hill so deathstalker's like don't worry i got this and he pulls out like a knife out of his pocket and then he pulls out like a handful of ninja stars <laughs> And he sneaks up behind a guy, slits this guy's throat, and then he sees mm-hmm. the midget standing on a rise, and he whips a yeah, ninja Yeah, he gets star. the little person with the ninja star, which makes him explode, which is an exploding <laughs> ninja star. That was news to me. I know, it's like the greatest thing on the planet. I love <laughs> so much fun to watch i replayed it several times at work for a bunch of co-workers who were watching me watch this movie what the hell job do you have the best kind Deathstalker goes around and kind of kills everybody off one by one until one-eyed chin is left chin walks to this misty pool of water to contact mm-hmm. jarek and he's like oh, don't worry jarek we didn't kill him but i'm gonna kill him uh, and i'm gonna try so hard even if it kills me i'm gonna kill him and jarek goes Great, I'm sure. And he stabs a sword through his misty pool. <laughs> it comes out of one-eyed chin's misty pool and kills him. Also, by this point, we should mention that Rena's kind of in love with Deathstalker. She's made various advances on him, and he's just kind of not reciprocating those feelings. We we do get a classic later on. Is that a knife in your... Yeah, is, is that a sword in your pocket, or are you happy to see me? And then Deathstalker we get, just falls we get asleep. That. <laughs> 
Well, their next little adventure, they stumble upon a graveyard, I guess. And, oh, yeah. And like a this mausoleum. Was, why were there zombies in this movie? I, I have that was no weird. clue. That feels like it's a leftover set from another Roger Corman movie. I know, and they're like, we're running 15 minutes short of time. Should we film something? They already had the zombie makeup made for some other movie, and it's like, here, throw them in this movie. The whole point of this scene is Deathstalker wants to steal loot from graves, so he goes into a mausoleum and gets trapped in there by Jarek, who has him in a trap where, like, the walls start closing in, like a very, you know, classic kind of trap situation, and spikes come out of the walls. Saw 5, I think, has has a death like this with the moving walls. Wow, Saw 5, what a fucking ripoff. Maybe Saw 6, I don't remember. It's one of the Saw (laughs) movies. They're all the same. Deathstalker starts climbing out of this mausoleum with the help of the spikes. Yeah, the spikes are conveniently long enough to give him, <laughs> like, to let him easily give him get footing him 15 minutes to great. climb out of this pit. <laughs> Outside, Rena is terrified and not doing anything because a horde of zombies has have crawled out of their graves and have approached Rena. I guess. You say not doing anything, and ultimately I, I agree, but this is also <laughs> the, the first time we've seen Rena be somewhat competent because she was able to light a torch. Oh, yeah. Okay, and that's, that's a nice, step yeah. in the right direction for this character, even if she just freezes in fear as the zombies approach her. Because she was utterly useless in the flaming arrow scene. Yeah, and I mean, and again, arguably utterly useless here, but you're right, Torch. So there's And she does a moments. few things late in the movie where, okay, she kind of, I don't want to say she grows as a character through any means other than breast augmentation, but... <laughs> She's not completely useless the entire way through, uh, so it's 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 good. I, you know, is it a great character? No, it's a fun character. It's a terrible performance, and she gets some good moments later on. Well, we get to cut to her again playing princess, evil princess Evie, because while they're fighting zombies, we see that evie's having problems where she's like disappearing or something yeah she's got like it's like back to the future when uh when when marty's parents don't kiss and his hand starts to disappear while he's playing guitar to earth angel she's starting to fade out of existence until she eats a human being yeah that's where we get the 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 pig the did you see her face yeah too bad nice body though yeah so that's interesting she's like a vampire queen yeah i guess the next plot point and all of these plot points by the way just come rapid fire like you don't even have time to adjust to the new setting <laughs> just things just get hurled at you and, and the screen yeah the, the zombie scene in particular kind of out of nowhere just really felt out of place but that is i get that is Jarek's first interaction with death stalker yeah he's like oh I've, i finally meet you Jarek, by the way played by john lazar I guess he was a Shakespearean actor. I really only know him from one other movie. He's in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which is another movie. You know what? That Come to think of it, that is a movie, a sequel, that is a parody of the original. That may be the best example, actually. But I did read on Wikipedia that he was a skilled martial artist and fencer. Oh. And I'm going to say, in his big sword fight with Deathstalker, that comes through. That's a good fight. Yeah, except like um Deathstalker himself no no except no except it's all good no Deathstalker is awesome John Terleski's good he's good in the action stuff yeah okay yeah he's he's fine he's he's acceptable (laughs) he's serviceable that's that's my exactly word serviceable because that's what this is next they run into like a band of Amazonian warrior ladies and they capture them and they accuse Rena of being the evil princess Evie who's like raiding their villages and whatever Mm mm-hmm but they also know who Deathstalker is. So they're going to release Rena, but not Deathstalker, because he has to go to trial for his crimes of womanizing. 
No, no, not crimes of womanizing, crimes against women, i.e. all the rape that happened in the first movie, <laughs> I think. No, I think they said womanize. They said you're a womanizer. You're going to be taking a trial because of it. I don't know. But I, anyways, I think this is... To atone a for the first great, movie? <laughs> well, no, but I mean, yes, but I think this is a great reimagining of the Cersei episode from James Joyce's Ulysses, where Leopold Bloom is put on trial by all these women that he's wronged over the years. This is a great stuff. It's the trial by combat <laughs> where he ends up fighting a like professional Kirk and wrestler. Spock. <laughs> yeah, well, he fights this gorilla of a woman named Gar- Gargo or something like that. <laughs> Gorgo, yeah. <laughs> She's huge. Named after the British Godzilla ripoff. This wrestling scene <laughs> goes on for far too long. It goes on for way too long. It is it is very funny at the f- at first because it's a literal boxing ring and they have like a a break between rounds yep, where yep. he goes to his corner and Rena's trying to like hype him up and it's like okay this is pretty funny, but it does go on for too long. There's some fun stuff in there, but yeah, it's just it's just too long. Well, really, but then there's scene. like some cool stuff too. So like I I feel like it's not what's his name John Terleski. There's a scene where he is like laying on his back and then he just flips up without using his hands. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Which is pretty cool. I doubt he did it. And if he did, then congrats to him. That's awesome. So like there's some neat little stuff, but this scene just goes on way too long. For some reason, he's declared the winner at the end, even though he's had the shit kicked out of him for 14 out of 15 rounds. Well, he 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 defeats Gorgo. And all the women are trying, all the Amazonians are trying to get him to kill her. But he's like, no, if you want her dead, so like, yeah, kill her yourself. I know there's a fight to the death, but you can kill her yourself. I'm not going to kill her. So Deathstalker has grown as a character since the first film. Because first, the first movie that whoever that Deathstalker was, he would have just killed this woman. No problem. He was just an asshole. This Deathstalker, (laughs) a little bit more to him than this. But he's also mad at this point at Rena because now he realizes that Rena is a princess or something. Yeah, Yeah, and that she's lied to him the whole time. And that she's not actually a seer, except she is a seer, just not a good one. <laughs> yeah. Because Deathstalker's mad with her, they kind of part ways. Rena just kind of goes off on her own, and Deathstalker hangs out with the Amazonians until he realizes that the Amazonian queen is trying to marry him, and then he runs away. Like, he literally just runs. Well, Rena goes off on her own, when she, specifically when she sees Deathstalker making out with the Amazonian queen. Yes, yeah. While all this is going on, we see that Jarek has made a potion that allows the original person to be killed, and and while you still keep the clone alive, and him and Evie test it out, and it works. They kill like this one poor dude, and the other one survives. I assume those are good. They just had twins, twins, right? That's probably (laughs) what that was. I love it. Then we cut back to Rena and Deathstalker, and Rena's out on her own. She gets captured by the bad guys and Sultana, and she gets dangled over a pot of boiling water in like a cave or something. (laughs) And Deathstalker, who's by this point run away from the Amazonians, he just shows up where Rena is. And he's like, hey, I'm here. Don't you worry. You came back. Yeah, he just kind of shows up. He, there's nothing like clever about it. He's just there. Yeah, which, which is... I, I kind of like that, actually. But it's stupid. It's very stupid. He fights all the baddies, kills them, and he kills Sultana. And uh, at some point, the, the rope holding Rena over the pot of boiling water is on fire. And he kills Sultana as the rope breaks and he dives over the pot and rescues rena and there's a terrible line i wrote it down i don't know if it's the worst line in the movie it's the worst line delivery of the movie yeah where they're both laying there and it looks like they're she gonna goes lean to in like for a kiss, kiss. yeah but but death kind of pulls back and rena's like why and he's and what does he say he goes 
he says something along the lines of like, oh, well, I, I, f- I feel like it wasn't the right time. And Rena goes, well, the top half thinks there's a right time, but the bottom half knows it's in the right place. And then they laugh. Yeah. <laughs> well, we I cut. do love when the because it cuts like right after they start to laugh. And I feel like the laugh wasn't scripted. That laugh feels like the two actors realize how dumb that. Line oh, yeah. was. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> John Terleski is certainly in on the joke. At least in this moment, Monique Gabriel seems like she's in on the joke as well. So that's just, it's nice to see. Yeah, it adds to the magic of this movie. (laughs) Well, if you thought that was fun, we then cut to a seizure-inducing scene where Jarak revives Sultana, and then they start to bang, and Evie sees them and storms off. Oh, this, this, uh, this reminds me of something. My favorite bit of IMDb trivia for Deathstalker 2. So Tony Naples is the name of the actress that plays Sultana. I've never heard of her. I, I saw something on IMDb that said this is her first starring role, and then like for all I know it was her last one too. I mean I don't know. <laughs> I, I looked at I saw a picture of her and it's like it wouldn't shock me to learn that she went into porn because she just like as an older woman had like that look like she yeah. had maybe yeah. done that. But I you know, who knows? But the IMDb fact. Two out of two found this interesting. Jim Wynorski tried to convince Tony Naples to film scenes topless, but she said no. When producer Roger Corman saw the dailies, he asked why there wasn't any nudity. God bless that man. (laughs) So Wynorski hired a body double to stand in for Naples and shot her topless. That's this scene we're talking about here. Naples said later she wished she had done the nudity herself because the double's breasts didn't look as good as her own. In fact, they were very unflattering. She then filmed her own nude scenes in future films. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> first of first of all, if 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 those are unflattering, I'm gonna say t- Tony Naples has great breasts. This doubles are not bad. They're not Monique Gabrielle's, but they're good. Also, another thing from IMDb. This is this is a quote from Jim Wynorski. Let me pull it up, oh, and it's not in regards to this movie specifically. It's more, I guess you could say, in regards to all of his movies. But Jim Wynorski quotes. Breasts are the cheapest special effect in our business. <laughs> Is he wrong? No, he's totally right. <laughs> he's totally right. The man, the myth, the legend, Jim Wynorski. <laughs> well, breasts aside, we get Rena and Deathstalker. They start sneaking into Jarek's castle, or Rena's old castle, but they get immediately separated. Deathstalker gets captured by Jarek and Sultana, and... <laughs> It looks like Rena's about to Sultana, be... Sultana, who's back from the dead. Yes, that's right. She's been revived. Rena is almost raped by a bunch of guards. And then the, all the Amazonians show up and kill the guards. Mm-hmm. Deathstalker <laughs> is brought into Evie's chamber where we get a very long, drawn-out sex scene. <laughs> Which I'm not... I you know. thought it wasn't long enough, but okay. <laughs> yeah, this, this, when I, like, listen... Monique Gabriel is amazing. There's there's no overstating that. She's I, I love this woman. She is for me it's her and Elizabeth Caton from Slave Girls Beyond Infinity, also a terrible actress, but that's fine. I'm okay with that. They, these women are incredible. They're my favorite B movie actresses. No offense to Linnea Quigley, but Monique Gabriel is something else. Yeah, so they they have sex and stuff, and it, she's about to eat Deathstalker. Exactly. When, uh, but then the it, other Monique Gabrielle comes in and smacks her over the head. What's the name of the of the clone? Evie. 
For some reason, they don't kill Evie here. They should have just killed Evie. I don't know why they do. Yeah, they, they just don't. knock her out and walk away. And Rena's like, come on, follow me. I'm going to show you a surprise. And she leads Deathstalker through a door to a courtyard where they're, again, immediately surrounded by bad guys. And again, just as it looks like they're going to be killed, all the Amazonians show up and start killing all the bad guys. And we get this huge battle scene. <laughs> in this castle with lots of extras surprisingly you know what i mean yeah this this reminded me of like army of darkness where it's like it's on a budget but they're still pulling off like a big epic like medieval battle fairly well you know it's not lord of the rings yeah but but i mean like people are flipping in the air people are getting stabbed you know people are getting hit with arrows yeah it's all kind of exciting stuff yeah and there's the great bit this is like a classic like silent movie gag where Rena picks up this like long pole and she's walking with it behind her neck and then she hits like two people in the back of the head and then she like turns and hits them again like that that <laughs> I that's that's a famous gag. I don't know if it's from like silent movies or, or it's it's like a, I don't know if it's Laurel and Hardy. It's like some classic gag. Yeah, it's yeah. neat to see that done in like a tongue in cheek way in like a modern you know modern in quotes 1987 movie. Yeah, no, it's, uh, well, I mean, the movie's ridiculous, so this fits right in. Sultana leaves Jarak in the middle of the battle. She's like, I'm out, I'm done. And she just walks away. And then Evie comes out and was like, oh, what's going on with all this goddamn noise? And Jarak goes, let me escort you back inside. As those two are walking inside, Arena and Deathstalker follow them. Another another great gag, this is like a Scooby-Doo gag, where Rena splits off to go kill Evie. And then she does this, there's this long shot of her going in and out of, of like passageways. <laughs> it, it's like the Scooby-Doo shot, but they're not doors. But she did say that she, you know, she grew up in, in the castle. castle. She knows all the secret passageways. And it's just like a funny shot. It is, yeah. And then what's surprising is that when Rena does find Evie, she kills her very quickly. Yeah, I, I want to something more you know you know what it is though they can't go full cat fight because it's monique gabriel in the you can't exactly fake that with exactly a, with a double is really what it was because earlier when she knocks out evie we never see her in the same shot as death stalker it's death stalker with with a, a naked monique gabriel <laughs> on top of him and then it's a closed monique gabriel just standing near the bed talking so they they don't do anything they don't try to do anything that would have would be difficult with the with the doubles i guess i get it <laughs> but you're right you, with that scene you do want something more instead of just rena throwing just a, a knife, knife throw yeah into into evie's gut and killing her but there's a cool effect where she kind of like smokes away yeah that's neat Deathstalker is fighting Jarak in this cool sword fight. It's, you know, nothing too fancy, but there's like lots of footwork going on. You know, it's, it's almost like a stage play. I was going to say that. Yes, this is a very, I think it's a very good fight scene. It's, it's well choreographed. It reminds me a lot of, I've seen a ton of Shakespeare plays on stage. And, you know, because Shakespeare plays, there's like sword fights in like all the big history ones or the, mm-hmm. the tragedies, right? Hamlet and Laertes, Hotspur and Prince Hal when you see those on stage the focus clearly isn't on the sword fight mm-hmm. like it when they were because the lines are more, it's it's Shakespeare the lines are more important this feels like the best version of like a, a Broadway or off-Broadway Shakespeare like sword fight like there were even ways that they were holding swords that really reminded me of like I've seen that on stage a lot and I don't know if that's that was actually done in the Middle Ages with fighting with swords, but it all is pretty good. 
And then, it, you know, it gets pretty creative at the end. It goes beyond something that you would see on stage. Yeah, I mean, like, they're jumping around, and I think Deathstalker loses his sword and starts fighting Jarek with a, with a candelabra or something. Yeah, the big, big candlestick thing. And yeah, and that's all pretty cool. But the coolest part of this whole scene is Jarek's about to kill Deathstalker, and then Deathstalker just, like, grabs his sword and then fucking punches it and breaks it in half. Like a, like a cool karate move. Yeah. And then he steals the broken hilt of the sword out of Jarek's hands and just stabs him in the throat with it. <laughs> it's so cool. It's amazing. <laughs> it is genuinely awesome. It's dumb to see someone just punch a sword in half, but it's awesome. <laughs> it looks so cool. <laughs> yeah. That's the and it's a, it's a good effect on the, yeah. on the neck, on the throat. Yeah. Then the movie just kind of cuts to Rena being reinstated or or she like reinstated at her re-coronation as princess or queen or whatever which princesses don't get coronated yes. usually so who is the queen and or king of this kingdom we don't know no we don't and we will never know we couldn't afford them well, exactly. <laughs> yeah it wasn't in the budget but uh Rena calls up that stalker to give him his reward for helping her and she goes it's me <laughs> And Deathstalk is like, are you sure that, you know, you want me? She goes, of course. And then they kiss and presumably get married. And that's the end. <laughs> Monique Gabriel is the greatest reward any any man could possibly hope for. She's pretty cool. Like, she's not a great actress, yeah. but she's pretty no, dope. No, she's terrible. She no. is one of the worst actresses, maybe the worst I've ever seen, but I don't care. Like, I... I... <laughs> I would love to meet her in real life just to say thank you for this movie. <laughs> I would love to say thank you for this movie, for Evil Tunes, for Return of Swamp Thing, for maybe her porno career. I don't know. <laughs> Manuel 5, for sure. Listen, I love Monique Gabriel so much that I've seen a version of Emmanuel 5 that was just like some awful bootleg that didn't even have English subtitles. And I'm not even sure if the movie was originally in French, like the original manuals were i i watched that entire movie even though i didn't understand a word anyone said so Dude, that's how she's awesome in she is. silk too yeah she's in a movie called amazon women on the moon from i mentioned from that movie video. earlier oh okay never mind. <laughs> it's 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 um it's directed by john landis oh all the movies she's made that might be her most like real movie of all of them oh okay well that's you know interesting <laughs> Do these sound do these sound like softcore porn television shows? I'm going to read you the titles, ready? Hunter. I mean that that could be anything. Something is out there. She's in an episode that... called Good What does it say? Good psychics are hard to come by. Okay, something is out there sounds like a horror movie. That doesn't sound like softcore porn to me, but What about this one? one. Hardball. That could be a gritty cop drama, for all I know. I mean, that could be anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah the, You're not selling me on these the, titles The episode so name far. is A Killer Date. Uh, the next television show. Again, that's, that could just be a cop drama, though. Here's one called... This, these are all TV? Yes. Here's one called Dream On. That was an HBO show. That was a, that was a, that was a legitimate show. That oh, was on HBO. Okay. I don't know what it is, but I know it's like... It had like six seasons. That's a real show. She's in an episode called 555 Hell. And then, okay, now these ones, okay, listen. That's That sounds like a, just a ripoff of 867 Evil, which, by the way, she is in 867 Evil 2, which I have not seen. I've seen the original, eight, is it 867? No, it's probably an 867 Is it 666? Evil, because I'm thinking of 867 <laughs> um, Robert England directed that movie. I'm trying to think of what it's called. But but yeah, it's something, but Eve, it's like a phone number, and Evil is the last four digits. Oh. Well, tell me your vibe on these last two. 
here's the television show USA Up All Night. Her role was I'm a, a, okay. Okay, yeah. USA Up All Night. I'm familiar with what that is. USA Up All Night is relevant to this podcast. That was a, that was an old show, kind of like a Joe Bob Briggs show that used to air movies, and it had some movies originally made for it, including Vice Academy. Oh. I believe all six Vice Academy movies were USA Up All Night features. Uh, so that was hosted by some uh, I don't remember her name, but some like model from the time. And she would. They had guests like Linnea Quigley and Monique Gabriel and people like that come on and talk about movies and stuff. They probably did like Return a Swamp thing on there, you know. So that that's like a real thing. I know what that is. Okay, okay. Well, she played the roles of schoolgirl Monique and Monique slumber party guest. But here's the last one: Problem Child Three, Junior in Love, and she played the blonde. <laughs> I've heard of Problem Child. I want to say that's just like a horror movie. I don't know about Problem Child Three, but. Here's something else. I, I thought this was hilarious. IMDb trivia for Jim Wynorski. This seems like, why is this listed as like a fact? Because this isn't verifiable. But it says, the most difficult actors he has worked with are are Robert Culp, who was a Columbo guest star, one of the best Columbo guest stars, arguably the best. Jennifer Rubin, who played Taryn in A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, which we just saw. And Tanya Roberts, who I know you are aware of. She's a Bond girl. Mm-hmm. And then... He's gotten along with 95% of his stars otherwise. What? What kind of fucking like, fact not... is that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not Did Jim Wynorski write that fact himself <laughs> in the trivia? It just, That'd be so it was funny just weird, if he but, did. Yeah. But I got excited because I'm like, oh, all three actors he didn't get along with. I'm very familiar with Robert Culp, Jennifer Rubin. We just saw her last week. Jim Wynorski's still making movies. You know, yeah, the last movie uh, he made was Cobra Gator, twenty eighteen. No, that's not true. Oh, okay, that is not true. He made uh, Attack of the Fifty Foot Cam Girl just like a year ago. Oh, okay, never mind. Uh, he, I think he even directed the sequel to that. But yeah, so I've I've seen some recent Jim Wynorski movies, believe it or not. Well, Patrick, how did you like Deathstalker two? I like it so much, and it's not just Monique Gabriel. She's obviously my favorite part. It's such a fun movie. It's so dumb, but it knows it's dumb. That John Turleski performance where he's just completely tongue-in-cheek on everything. I just think that's a more that's a more fun... Maybe because I don't really like fantasy that much. I like a stupid, self-aware sword and sorcery movie more than like an actual serious sword and sorcery movie. Like I like this movie more than Conan. <laughs> I can't explain it. I just do. And... <laughs> It's a classic B-movie. It's hilarious. It's largely intentionally funny. There's some bits that are unintentionally funny, i.e. Monique Gabriel's acting, although some of that I think is intentional. Some of her, I mean, her lines. Oh, and some, yeah. some of the lines some of that are... Gotta be. Some of them are that are genuinely bad jokes are made funny because of how terribly they're delivered, i.e. the top half, bottom half line. And then the John Lazar sword fight is actually well done. Like, there's enough... That's like kind of exciting as far as action stuff goes, but mostly just to me, this is a comedy and it's a pretty damn funny one. I'd like it. This is the best Deathstalker movie. This is the best Deathstalker actor. Yeah, I think it's a different actor in all four films. <laughs> the The guy in the first Deathstalker sucked. The The, yeah, the worst Deathstalker actor, actor is in the third one, that, which is also the worst Deathstalker movie. That The guy who plays Deathstalker in that is literally the most boring person i've ever seen in a major motion well major 
in a motion picture. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing major about any of the, any of the Deathstalker movies, I suppose. But oh, Christ. John Terleski is really funny in this movie. He's really likable. He's got that like Harrison Ford, like Han Solo charm. He's, yeah, he's got but, boyish but charm. But in like a goofier way. Yeah. Jim, what about you? Yeah, like this is a movie that if you're if you have a friend who wants to get into B movies, I would suggest showing them a movie like this, if not this movie. You know? Yeah. It, it's it's palatable, you know? <laughs> like you you kind of understand what's going on, but it's lacking enough sense or like it's lacking what, what am I trying to say? Like it's lacking just enough to not entirely make sense, right? <laughs> and you get everything that you want out of a classic B movie. Bad acting, funny acting, genuine comedy and jokes. Amazing gratuitous nudity. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing nudity. Explosions, you know? Yeah, it's it's a really fun movie to watch. And I was... Dumb jokes about pig-headed people not thinking one of the most attractive women who's ever lied uh, who's ever lived is attractive because she doesn't have a pig face (laughs) yeah it's just a fantastic movie (laughs) even though i was kind of shitting on it it's a really fun watch it's one of those movies that you can just kind of put on at you know like at like a party (laughs) or like or like a screening for b movies just throw it on you can talk over it you're not going to miss anything but you'll catch you are going to miss some genuinely good jokes yeah some of the jokes are hilarious exactly catching snippets out of the side of your eye is going to make you want to kind of like pay attention to this movie like it's (laughs) it's so fucking dumb but it's so fucking funny and i think that might be like the best thing you could say about this movie Yeah, I I love this movie. This is one of my favorite B movies out there. It's not, and it's it. I like it for different reasons because most B movies, you know, when I say like a so bad it's good movie or something like, oh this is hilarious. It's I'm laughing at it because it's terrible or it's incompetent. This I'm I mean laughing more with the movie because the movie is a comedy and it's genuinely yeah. funny. Yeah. It's it's a different thing than like Sleepaway Camp, which is just hilarious because of how weird it is. This movie succeeds in being a movie. Yeah. And it's just weird enough that like it adds to that B movie quality, but it's a genuinely funny movie and it is entertaining. Like there's no way that you can say watching a midget get a ninja star to the head and then explode isn't entertaining. You know? No. Everybody would find that interesting. Right. I think if I were to compare this to something we've done, I guess, I would say maybe like Dolomite, because Dolomite is genuinely funny at times, but it's mostly funny because of how terrible it is. This movie, it's less incompetent, but I think yeah. it's also funnier than Dolomite, like in terms of the writing and the performances. Dolomite is really just hilarious because Rudy Ray Moore is it's such a character. S- is so not an actor, (laughs) which I guess is kind of Monique Gabriel in this movie, but I don't know. I I like it quite a bit. Classic B-movie. It's a Hall of Fame B-movie first ballot. Yeah, and I mean, just watching it just to watch Monique Gabriel try to act is amazing. Your heart kind of like... You, You say try to act, and yeah, but just watching it for Monique Gabriel, honestly, for everything that she is about, whether it's the terrible performance... I'll give it to you. Or the incredible nudity. It's all there. (laughs) Yeah, I'll give it to you. I agree. (laughs) So, Jim, Dirty Harry or Deathstalker 2, 
which of these two films do you prefer? Dude, it's a tough one because I like them both for like different reasons. <laughs> obviously, mm. this is way tougher than it should be. I'll I'll admit that myself. I I I I'm, I think you and I are on the same page here. <sighs> yeah, you know what? And I might just have to go with Deathstalker too because that's what this podcast is all about. You know what I mean? Dirty Harry's. A- I mean, it doesn't have to be. We're all about genuinely good movies too yeah and dirty harry is a genuinely fantastic movie with so much to yeah, offer it's up, th- it's up there with like the terminator and king kong like some of the best movies we've covered right yeah death uh, soccer yeah, 2 absolutely. isn't but no death soccer 2 for is its own reasons <laughs> but yeah i think just it's just such a pleasure to watch and everybody should see death soccer 2 let me ask you a question do you agree with me that death soccer 2 is superior to death soccer 1 Completely different movie, completely different tone, everything about it. But do you agree that it's more entertaining? Yeah, it's more entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I'm mean, like, I'm a big old nerd. I'm a big old sword and sorcery loser. I like Deathstalker 1, but how can you not like Deathstalker 2? Right. So how about right. you, Patrick? I mean, it's, 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 it's yeah, well, I'm going to go with Dirty Harry, but... And I understand it. It's closer than it should be. It's closer than it has any right to be. Dirty Harry is just an awesome movie. It really is one of my favorites. I think it's amazing. I think that character is so entertaining. I think Eastwood's performance really brings him to life. Scorpio is an incredible villain. Mm -hmm. He's terrifying. He is insane. He pays someone to beat the shit out of him. It's just awesome. Like All of that that cat and mouse between Harry and Scorpio is just amazing. Deathstalker 2 is awesome, but it can't hold... A candelabra to Dirty Harry, really? You know, but no, I mean, it's good. I, I would watch both of these movies, you know, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like, again, like, I love them that much. But yeah, that's I, Dirty Harry, I do just prefer. It's just one of my favorites. It's a true classic. And like I said, it's a fantastic movie. So, Jim, how do you think Dirty Harry and Deathstalker 2 stacks up as a double feature? Well, you know, we could say something, or I could say something, about how the absurdity of the life that Clint Eastwood leads, or his morals what? that are present in, or not present in Dirty Harry. talking about Harry, Clint Eastwood or the character? The character. The morality of Dirty Harry, and, and, and the absurdity of what he does as part of a police force. We could compare that to the just genuine absurdity of Deathstalker 2. But I feel like this both works and doesn't work as a double feature. Gun to your head, works or doesn't? I'm going to have to say doesn't, but that's only because Dirty Harry's too fucking cool. And like too serious. Like there's like some genuine funny, like genuinely funny scenes in Dirty Harry. Yeah. But. But it's a serious movie. It's. Yeah. Like the movie's taking itself seriously. It's, it's about, you know, not common issues. Well. I guess police brutality is a common issue, but specifically with the serial killer stuff, not, maybe not common issues, but real world, real life issues. And that soccer too is about clones and and sorcery. Nick Gabriel being hot yeah. and um, well, and then, zombies for thirty seconds. What was that about? Yeah, yeah. And then when you have like this cold, like the, it, it just feels so real, like this cold hard reality almost of watching this poor dead girl being pulled out of a pit in the ground. And then you have all this stupid stuff in Deathstalker 2. It's just kind of hard to float those two together. So I guess I'll have to say it doesn't stack up. I'm going to say this is good. And here's the thing where I wouldn't say this is... And it's not just because I didn't like the first Deathstalker. I wouldn't say this is a good double feature if you go from Dirty Harry to the first Deathstalker, even if I liked that movie. Because 
the tone is is so dark and gritty in the first one and then the second one is just kind of like a dark miserable rapey movie but this one Deathstalker 2 is this like bright and cheery and like jovial movie and it's like it's kind of a needed cleansing after Dirty Harry as much as I love that movie that that is like a brutal watch yeah and Deathstalker 2 is just it doesn't take anything seriously and it's I think it's refreshing and yeah it's a completely different movie but I do think, you know, in different ways than Clint Eastwood, I think the John Terleski hero of Deathstalker is just so fun and classic. And, you know, I, I don't know. I think it, again, it, it works a lot better than it should. <laughs> I'm all about this double feature. I think this is fantastic. Yeah, now see, like for somebody who like me, I want to wallow in the misery of Dirty Harry. You know, That's so, fine. So I'd want to watch something as like equally as miserable like Soylent Green for the second feature or something you know like a totally okay. miserable ugly disgusting taxi driver yeah yeah some yeah something you know but uh, I totally see where you're coming from and I respect your opinion because I'm that close I'm holding my fingers close together in front of my microphone I'm that close to siding with you that's fair I mean listen it's not a conventional double feature by any means but I enjoy it. I I love both movies, and they're completely entertaining for different reasons, but I think one of them weirdly complements the other just by being its, like, polar opposite almost. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So work has been getting weird for me lately, which means we're not going to be doing an episode next week. Oh, no. But we'll be back, and we will be back with George A. Romero's 1978 classic... Martin, as well as the 1959 film The Alligator People, the movie that we wish we had seen instead of The Angry Red Planet. Guess what? We're seeing it. We're watching both these movies, and it's going to be a good time. So we hope you join us then. And yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. you got anything no, else to say? No, again? that's uh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's join us for Alligator People. We hope it's as, as exciting as it sounds. Classic title. You know, it's like Martin. Oh, it's just the name. It's just someone's first name. Yeah, boring title. Then the alligator people. It's like, oh my god, this is amazing. Oh, alligator people. Yeah. (laughs)